Welcome to Season 2 of the Practicing Presence Podcast, where spiritual formation is fueled through a variety of practices rather than a single prescriptive time of devotion, where we discuss different spiritual practices that help us be more present with God, others, and ourselves. What's going on, practitioners? What's up, friends? How we doing? We are continuing our conversation on the Bible, and kind of contrasting last week, we want to have a conversation about how to fall back in love with the Bible rather than trying to read the Bible with religious trauma. Yeah. Well, I think for me, this is an important conversation because, <clears throat> you know, if you were going to talk about deconstruction, like faith deconstruction, which is what I think Wellhouse is a place for people who are slash need to slash want to deconstruct their faith. Um, And I remember like when I, when that stuff first hit me, I remember the questions began over the question of theodicy, the problem of evil and the role of women in the church. Um, Those are the two main questions that I had, which the theodicy question invoked the how powerful is God question. And I remember when I began asking those questions and I began reading the Bible in light of trying to answer those questions, that's when I realized that my fundamentalist view of the Bible wasn't going to allow me to ask those questions because the fundamentalist view of the Bible broke. Yeah. Because the Bible was not consistent in its storytelling. And then that evolved into divorce and all these other kinds of problematic texts that happen within the Bible and the way in which the Bible reinterprets itself and all of these things. And I remember there was a moment I asked myself, like, and remember, I'm pastoring through this whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I just remember going, Cullen, you got to find a way to fall back in love with the Bible. Like, you, even if all of this means nothing, like all of this other stuff, like even if you can answer those questions, like, or if you can't answer those questions, you can't deny the spiritual experiences you've had and the liberation that you find in the message of Jesus. Yeah. Like you cannot shake that. So you've got to find a way to fall back in love with the Bible. And I think that moment, like if you were going to have to look at my own personal life and my own journey of deconstruction, it was me really coming to terms and embodying that issue and like really coming to terms with, hey, you've got to find a way to fall back in love with the Bible and choosing that that began my reconstruction. Because the whole time when you start deconstructing, you start having these problems with the Bible, you know, you just want to burn the whole thing to the ground. Yeah, kind of. Right? Scott Erickson has this great, um, this great piece of art. Shout out if you don't follow him, Scott Erickson, the painter on Instagram. Um, he has this great piece of art and it's a silhouette of a person, like, uh, just their top and their neck is the stick of a matchstick and their head, or I guess their brain is the, like the uh, phosphorus part Mm -hmm. and it's, and your head is on fire Hmm. and it says something along the lines. I can't remember. Exactly, but something along the lines of 
may my light always shine in a way that I know when to let it shine and when to burn it to the ground or something. It's it's a deconstructive metaphor. Um, and <clears throat> I think we all find that moment where it's like, okay, we've spent this entire time burning the thing to the ground that we have to at some point be done with burning it to the ground and we have to begin like letting our light shine. Yeah. <clears throat> and that moment happened for me when I decided that I was going to find a way to take back the Bible. Yeah. That I was going to fall back in love with the Bible. And I think this may be a generalized statement. I'm not sure. But if I had to guess, the people that need to have the conversation about falling back in love with the Bible probably were given a fundamentalist view of the Bible. You know, of all the people I have conversations with about deconstruction, every denomination has deconstruction people in it. Mm-hmm. Some way, shape, or form. Episcopalians never have to deconstruct the Bible. Never once have I ever met an Episcopalian who was deconstructing the Bible. They don't read it that way. Yeah. They read it the way they're supposed to be read. And so here's what I would say. First of all, if you're a person who is at a point where you are not interested in falling back in love with the Bible, that's totally okay. Yeah. However, I also realize I think I'm probably speaking to a phantom audience because you probably wouldn't have clicked on the episode that's titled Falling Back in Love with the Bible. But I want to acknowledge that. If you are here and you're just curious, don't feel rushed. Yeah. Like, you you don't need to do that. Like, you falling back in love with the Bible doesn't change your divinity. I am in that space. I am trying to get myself to fall back in love Clayton with the Bible. Clayton probably hadn't read the Bible <laughs> since last week when we recorded A Closer Look, and that was probably the first time we read the Bible since the week before. No, like, occasionally I will pop on and, like, read. Like, if I got questions or if I'm talking oh, about something. Oh, you'll look something up. I'll look something up. But you're up. not reading devotionally. You're no. not reading for spiritual enrichment. No. Yeah, no. I, I, it, that should be hard. Yo, like, yeah. it, it really does. Like, it really is just hard, especially when you're coming from this perspective of, like, I don't. I don't know about this thing. This thing that is supposed to tell me how to live a great life. I see all these problems. I see all these different views. I am honestly at the point, and I've said this on Pines and Perspectives quite a bit, one of our other podcasts, is like, I know all the questions to ask, but I don't feel like I have any answers. I, yeah, you know, I, I hear you. I want to acknowledge where you yeah. feel. I also want to affirm you that I wish that's where everybody was. Yeah. Because I think we do so much defamation to the message of Jesus when we force ourselves into believing that we have to have a right answer about something we don't understand. Yeah. That we, in our natural state, have to have an answer for something that happens supernaturally. Yeah. That's just the most bass backwards thing I've ever heard in my life. Mm-mm. Divine mystery is a big thing. Well, divine mystery is the key to all of it. And that's what I would say. If you were at a place, so now actually speaking to the people that, you know, clicked on the episode. If you're at a place where you're deconstructing the Bible and you're like ready to like give it a shot, 
<clears throat> falling back in love. Here's a couple of things I would say. <clears throat> First and foremost, you have to decide what the Bible is. Mm. You know, I've used this metaphor that it's God breathed, that God has certainly breathed into it and therefore God must breathe out of it. In the same way that we inhale and exhale, if we're going to carry breathing metaphors, if God has breathed into it, then God will breathe out of it. Truth, life, liberation, justice, all the things we want, goodness. But in order for it to do that, everybody has to approach it with a sense that like divine mystery is the key to all of this. Because we really don't understand. And when you read a passage... <clears throat> The divinity in you may be calling things out of that text mm -hmm. that it's not calling out of me because we're at different places in life. Yeah. The divine mystery piece is me trusting that it's the divinity in you and that you are a person in pursuit of restoration and wholeness and healing and isn't trying to weaponize the Bible in your own metaphor. Mm -hmm. Divine mystery is the key that holds that all together. Divine mystery is also the key that allows the second premise of asking what the Bible is to be true, which is, what is it? You know, we've talked about it being God-breathed, but everybody wants to use this word inerrant, without error. Um, first of all, that's a, the whole concept is stupid. We did a whole episode We've done. on this, or many episodes. Mm. We've talked about it a idea. lot. But I had a professor, and because remember, I'm trying to fall back in love with the Bible. I don't think I'm still trying to fall back in love with it, but I'm continually trying to grow in love with it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. and so I'm, I'm constantly kind of revisiting some of these ideas, uh, not really in this kind of structured system, but... I remember when, like, I was ready to give up inerrancy. It, it felt like a big deal. It's really not. But it felt like a big deal in the moment. Um, everybody wants to continue to use this word. And I had a professor tell me one time. He was like, I don't really believe in inerrancy, but if somebody really pinned me in a corner, here's what I would tell them. If by inerrancy you mean that the Bible is perfect with regards to its purpose, right. then I believe in inerrancy. Yes. Here's why you need divine mystery, because I believe that each person should be able to dictate what the purpose of the Bible is. Mm. And I have to trust that the divinity in me that's working towards healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus is the same divinity in you that's working towards healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus. And that the purpose of the Bible can be different for each person, and it can be different in, per in different seasons of life. Yeah. That's the first premise <coughs> of falling back in love with the Bible. But you got to get rid of the idea that there's a right answer. Mm. If we're continuing to approach this ancient book, this ancient sacred book, with this idea that there's only one right answer, that's the problem. I tell people all the time, people come to me on Instagram all the time about all the content I make. And I tell them all the time, it becomes very clear within the first, like, usually the first message they send me, I can answer this question. But it very quickly turns into, because I think differently than them, 
I'm wrong and they're right. And the only way to be right, which is to be correct, is if you look and think exactly like them. Yeah. <clears throat> which that's problematic for anyone. I'll spare you my rant about why that's problematic, but it has to do with, you know, the different locations of the world, contextualized theology, all the crap that we talk about on here all the time. For me, falling back in love with the Bible is when I decided that I was going to approach the Bible with all the tools that I knew how and had been trained how to approach the Bible faithfully with no agenda. Mm. No presupposition about what the Bible was supposed to give back to me. So what I just heard you say, if I can be so bold, is you approached the Bible, you, you tried to approach the Bible without any bias, but we all have bias. No, I wouldn't say I tried to approach the Bible without any bias, because we all have bias, as you said. I definitely, and I think I still approach the Bible with a bias, um, because we all do. We're we're mm. fooling ourselves if we think we can't. Like we're all just reading the book. Like, well, if you think you can like put these glasses on that make you some person that can approach the text with like a lens of clarity that none of your baggage or your history or any of your bullshit is reading on to the text. That's the most naive thing I've ever heard anyone say. Yeah. You can't, you don't know how to read anything except through your own lens. Yeah. That's just dumb. And so I wouldn't say I, I'm saying that I'm attempting to approach the Bible without biases. What I am saying is I'm being very honest with my biases and I'm trying to approach the Bible with an element of divine curiosity, divine mystery, that I don't have all the answers, that I'm not meant to have all the answers, that the Bible's not trying to give me all the answers. Those are all very real claims that I believe about my own relationship and belief in the Bible mm -hmm. that I think really matter to me and my ability to fall back in love with the Bible. So when I hear you say that, I think the only way for me to reapproach the Bible is to start from Genesis and read through Revelation, which I know is that whole religious trauma piece we talked about last week. Yeah. How do you reapproach it? Here's what I would tell you. If you were going to reapproach the Bible, you were going to give it a shot to fall back in love with it. Here's what I want you to do. If, if you're looking for a step-by-step -step process, if you're not, ignore me. Go read John. Then go read Genesis and Exodus. You can read, you can skip Leviticus if you want. It is a bunch of stuff. It will also reveal to you a lot about how, because you remember you just read Jesus. Mm -hmm. So you'll understand how different Jesus and Leviticus are. Just pretty revealing of the culture. If you want to skip Leviticus because it's boring reading, it's totally fine. Um, go to Numbers, skip the like actual census parts where they're actually recording people, read the narratives. There's some crazy stories in the book of Numbers. Read Deuteronomy, because that's Jesus' favorite book to quote from. Mm -hmm. 
And then read Joshua, or sorry, Judges and Joshua. And then read 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st, 2nd Kings. That'll get you up through the life of Solomon and like all the stuff. Then in order to truly get exilic periods, you would have to go into the prophets. Don't do that. Skip the prophets. They're a lot. Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah. After you read those three, you're done with the Old Testament. You don't need anything else in it. Uh, stop. You're done with the history parts of the Old Testament. Now you've got the story, and then you've got the Gospel of John, which pretty much picked you up. Now go read the Psalms. When you read the Psalms after you've read that, you're going to understand a whole lot of different thoughts about the way in which people thought about God, about the way in which they interacted with God, laments, imprecatory psalms, celebratory psalms, praise hymns. You got the run of the gambit in there. Proverbs, I think, will probably be next. After that, Finish out the wisdom literature in whatever grouping you want to do. So the rest of the wisdom literature would be Proverbs, Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, however you want to call it, um, and Job. So you carry out, you finish out the rest of the wisdom literature. And then go back and read the Gospels and Acts. And then go do it all over again. And do it twice before you ever pick up a letter. Because you need the story in order to understand the letters. And that's what everybody wants to go to. You know, I say this all the time. 80% of the sermons that are preached on any given Sunday in white evangelical churches come from 13 letters of the New Testament. The letters of Paul. You got 66 different volumes in the Bible. And 80% of the sermons preached on a given Sunday morning. And white evangelicalism will come from 13 letters from the Apostle Paul. Part of the reason we can't fall in love with the Bible is because we spent so much time listening to someone tell us how wrong we were from somebody's letters from 2,000 years ago. you got to fall back in love with the story. you got to fall back in love with the way in which God has interacted with people and the way in which they are viewing God and even sometimes in some really heinous things. you know, you got to understand that the ancient world, if good happened... It's because God blessed you. If bad happened, it's because God cursed you. Like God was doing everything, even in the book of Job, right? Job, the the thing that Job is counteracting is not Deuteronomy's premise that God is the cause of everything. What Job is counteracting is Deuteronomy's premise that God blesses the faithful and curses the, the unrighteous. Yeah. The book of Job tells you that Job is righteous and yet he has trials, he has tribulation, he has cursings. Everyone in the ancient world thought that if something happened, it's because God ordained it. That there was no there was no thought of anything about like chance or fate or any of that. That's why they can cast lots. 
Because God's decided that shit anyway. And so for us now in a worldview, if you don't believe that, then you got to understand that when you're reading these things, that's how they're viewing the world. And so why is Paul giving you all of these things not to do? Because he thinks they're going to bring curses upon you. He thinks that these are sins and things against God and against the message of Jesus, which they are, right? We're going to do a whole thing, come, or sorry, I'm going to do a whole thing on my Instagram about sin and death as the contrast, the adverse experience in this present reality of liberation and life. Paul absolutely thinks that. Mm-hmm. But Paul also thinks that there are times in which God makes bad things happen. Because that's what God needs to do, and that's okay. That's a worldview of Deuteronomy. And unfortunately, Christians have given the entire book over to that one worldview, which is just not true. Job doesn't view the book that way. Not every psalm views the book that way. Proverbs certainly doesn't view the book that way. Genesis certainly doesn't. Heck, Acts doesn't view the book that way. Like, there are so many other places that don't view the book that way. And yet, because we've prioritized Paul because he only wrote letters to broken churches and people who were in problem situations. And so we've taken what Paul said to people in brokenness, in very hurt, very bad situations in their churches, and made universal claims out of it. That's what I mean when I say we weaponized Paul. Yeah. My advice to you, you can read it however you want. I think starting with John is great. I think you need to go to Genesis. I mean, Genesis means the beginning. I mean, it's the entry place. Um, But my advice is if you want to fall back in love with the Bible, it's more than possible. I'm more in love with the Bible than I've ever been. Um, now I don't, like, I don't, I don't pull punches on it. Anybody that's been around this, this wellhouse church for any length of time, I do not pull punches about the Bible and the ways in which the Bible messes up. But there's certainly a way to fall back in love with the Bible. But I think my advice, if somebody, to answer your question, how do you do it? Don't read the letters of Paul. And don't read the Old Testament prophets until you've read everything else twice. Because then you're going to grasp the story. Then you're going to get the movements. Then you're going to understand it. Next week, we're going to talk about reading the different genres of the Bible. Because I think that's important, right? If you approach the history text the same way you approach the Psalms, you're not going to get the, like, you're not going to, you can't do that. You can't approach them the same. Just in the same way you can't approach reading fiction the same way you approach reading nonfiction. Right? You have to read things in genres. So next week we're going to talk about that. But my hope for each person is, you know, I say this quite often, that the beautiful experience of this life is healing. Healing into some kind of beautiful tapestry from our own brokenness. We have to heal from the things that break us. And unfortunately, the Bible is at the root of a lot of brokenness for a lot of people. 
the ways in which it's weaponized, the way in which it abuses people, the way in which people Bible beat. I mean, golly, we even have a like a catchphrase for it, like a common phrase for it, Bible beating. There's some brokenness there. My hope and prayer for each and every person listening to this podcast is that um, it's okay to be hurt and for those things to be painful. My hope and prayer is that you just don't hold the way in which someone weaponized the Bible against the Bible. I hope that the Bible can be given another chance to stand on its own two feet the way it was supposed to be done. As a sacred book, inspired, God-breathed, ready to breathe life and liberation into you as you try to empower yourself and your wholeness and your divinity towards life and liberation in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Practicing Presence podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.